Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from... William A. Papira. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy, which is the guy who walked walkways of St. Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... <laughs> no, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. I'm gonna... That's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. <laughs> Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. And Bill, today we want to talk about Death Row and all the happenings that are going on with that. And you're kind of a scholar on Death Row, which you would think most people who have been on Death Row would be, but uh, they're not, right? No, most guys that are doing time in prison allow the time to do them rather than do the time and they don't take time to actually observe listen learn from what's happening politically regarding the death penalty or death row as well as what's going on around them they're blind they're not watching they're not observant so yeah you'd be absolutely right that most guys that you ask on death row what is happening there both politically and in the prison they wouldn't be able to tell you and that's one of the things that I've taken uh, very seriously over the time. And as you know, I'm not on death row any longer. I left in February 22nd of this year, and now I'm at Corcoran Prison. But my knowledge uh, about the death penalty and about death row itself is pretty extensive. Well, I spent nearly 40 years on death row. Yeah, I don't really understand people who don't wish to know anything about their surroundings. I think people should know who their congressman is. I think they should know who their city council members are. I think they should know who the mayor is. I think if you live on Sherman Way, you should know who Sherman is. I think if you live in San Francisco, you should think about who is St. Francisco or St. Francis or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, it never makes sense to me just to kind of be ignorant about your environment. Well, in the case of most death row inmates and prisoners, they are 
they have a death sentence. There's a lot to carry on your shoulders. Some people take it differently. Some people suffer from mental health issues. Other ones are so involved with the politics going on on death row, meaning gang life, drugs, uh, contraband, that they don't have... I guess it's like you look at these kids that come from neighborhoods and they get into gangs. They can't even tell you why they hate another gang. They just know they do because their homeboys told them they should. And because the other gang is 16 and a half street and they're from 16 and three first streets. It's just that type of mentality you have on death row. A lot of guys don't want to know about what's going on. They're not the type of guy that really want to learn. And I understand that, but in my viewpoint, it's a very ignorant way of living your life. And well, it's the reason that I talk about the thing that I talk about is to inform the public about exactly what happens in these places in a type of state of mind that prevails there or is prevalent there. Yeah. So we'll get into it. First, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries and to check out our Patreon page that is patreon.com slash death row diaries where you'll get one bonus episode per week that's not available to the general public because we don't trust the general public. Um, so first, Bill, before we uh, start our retrospective on death row, we have a question. Listeners submit a question. If you guys have questions, feel free to send them to us. I got this one on Facebook. You can send them to the, uh, like I said, the Instagram, Facebook, whatever. I will read them. So this comes from Marcus. And this is a good question. I was wondering kind of the same thing. Marcus says, uh, now that you've left San Quentin and death row, are you more at liberty to talk about certain people you were on death row with? He mentions uh, Charles Ng, which we did talk about. He mentions Richard Allen Davis, Scott Peterson, Pollyanna Class, and Taekwon Cox. I don't know most of those people, but I guess his question is, are you... You know, you, you didn't want to talk too much about people you were behind bars with, but are you more able to relax that now? Well, it really depends on the case itself. You know, if there's a guy saying, hey, I'm guilty, I'm a freaking serial killer, and that's what I do, and then it's pretty easy for me to discuss this case. And and you, that is my expertise, which is serial killers as well as the criminal mind as well as criminology is what I talk about. Individual cases, um, again, it depends on the person, it depends on the case. Like I know who Taekwon Cox is. He is known as Feebok on death row. And he and I were the youngest guys on death row for many years. Um, I know who Richon Davis is and I would talk about him. I would talk about Charles things because let, let's be honest, there are of a lesser caliber of inmate that I'm used to being around. There are also child killers and really, let's be honest, complete pieces of garbage. So I would be willing to talk about them. Other people, let's take, take example, Taekwon Cox. I know him personally very well, as I do the other, other guys we talk about and you've mentioned. But I also know he's appealing his case and he's also saying, hey, look, it wasn't me, it was somebody else. So I don't want to go in and in any way, shape or form damage a person like that's appeal process because I still am a person who believes in due process. I believe in the the, the California uh, process of jurisprudence. So I, I never want to damage someone's ability to to, uh, to appeal their case. And yeah, I'm kind of judgmental because I, I do talk about child molesters and rapists and those kind of guys and not so much about other guys. 
it really depends the caliber of prisoner. So I guess that, that should answer your question. But do I feel at ease about it? Uh, yeah, let's be honest. Yeah, I do. I'm not on death row. I'm on a level two prison, which is a medium security prison. And I feel more comfortable speaking about certain type of play, uh, players in that game that I normally would. So yes, the answer is uh, absolutely. Yeah, so someone like Peterson, for example, I, I don't know the ins and outs, but if you start talking about people that are, you know, have an ongoing process, you know, in theory, you could say something that could be used against them by the, you know, the, the opposing lawyers, right? Absolutely. And that's why I, I hate to, um, to get involved in that type of things because then I become a political advocate and, or one that's making calls like that on appeals, and that's not my job. My job is usually to analyze serial killers and the criminal intent as well as the criminal mind. Uh, let me call you back. Yeah. So, all right. So you were sentenced to death a long time ago. You were not expecting that. You found yourself on death row. Um, I'm curious when you started actually learning about it. You know, when you kind of got over the shock of where you were, could you walk the audience through that whole time? Yeah, it was a difficult process. Um, being sentenced to death, being the youngest kid, boy, being sentenced. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For a crime committed at the age of 18 and sent to, you know, the, the famous or infamous and notorious St. Quentin prison death row was a huge shock. But it didn't take me long to immediately adapt and begin to learn about not only the prison but the criminal element there and began to really open myself up to everything there it didn't take long i imagine that the first 29 days almost 30 days that i spent in a hole because they threw me in a rat infested cell in 1988 when i first arrived there i had been incarcerated since 1983 it didn't take long i, I knew that i had to you know, master my element or the, the element that I lived in or understand it. And I began then learning about San Quentin, its history. And um, look, I didn't, I wasn't a historian or a person who did a lot of studying when I was a kid, but I realized that becoming a student of human behavior, my life depended on it. So, you know, necessity does breed invention. And that's really how I began to, you know, basically as an artist, seeing everything. 
And then came the part where I was educating myself and really paying attention to different groups and learning about the death penalty and what I was facing. Remember, my life depended on how successful I was at defending myself because I had been sent by a jury of, well, they say my peers and a judge to death. And if their will was carried out, I would not be talking to you right now, Matt. Right. So what was the, I wouldn't say you got lucky, but the timing was interesting. So when were you sentenced to death versus when did they stop actually executing people? Well, I was sentenced to death in 1988. I was convicted in 1987, went to trial in 1986. I arrived on death row, I believe it was the first week of February in 1988. And then they began to execute people in 1992. So I was there when Alton Harris or Robert Alton Harris, the smiling killer, was executed. I was there where Manson, not Manson as being the, you know, Charles Manson, but another Mason was there to be executed. I was there with Ray Allen, when Tookie Williams was executed, with Sarah Pong, with uh, Young Elk. All these guys that were executed, 13 guys that were executed at St. Quentin between 1967 and um, 2023, I was there. And I say 67 because they had not executed anybody at St. Quentin since 1967. They had the process, you know, went its route of legal route and one of the guys that were sentenced after Proposition 7, which is the Briggs Initiative in 1978, when the death penalty was brought back to California, I was there while the first guys were executed and the only 13 that have been executed in the last, what, 50 plus years. I was there for every one of them. And did you think you were going to be executed at one point? Well, of course. It's something that crosses your mind while you're there, but um, it it really didn't affect me at first, but because you're more likely to be executed by another a convict on the yard. There was so much violence. There was so much violence on the yard and so much turmoil that you were more likely to be shot by a guard or killed by a convict than you were to be executed. So I had all these different things that were crossing my mind um, all the time. But the most prevalent thought was that they would kill me. I used to leave my cell and touch the wall above my, my cell door and I would say, today they'll try and kill me, meaning another convict would try and murder me. So it's, it's, a, it's a mental health issue too. You have to be able to really ground yourself to take on some of the things that I took on. Look, I didn't do my time like most convicts do or inmates do. I did just do the time do me. I educated myself. I rehabilitated myself. I changed my state of mind to a point in my life where I was back to the beginning prior to all these influences that influenced my life as a child and that I I got bad habits of, meaning aggressive nature, fighting, all the things I got into, car theft. I I took myself to a a point in time prior to these influences. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Really influencing my behavior. And I went back to that state. And so, as I mentioned, it's a mental health issue. You have to be able to really beat the system 
first mentally. You got to do it through self-reflection to understand who you are, what makes you tick, and take responsibility for your actions. Once I did that, I was able to then jump on the path of learning. Yeah. So you mentioned being there for these executions, and we talked about it on different episodes, but it was interesting to me the way you explained that when these guys were executed, Harris and these guys, the next day it was like no one even thought about it. It was like, all right, moving on. Um, but were there any that affected you? Like, I know that you knew Tookie Williams pretty well, and I don't know if he was innocent or not, um, but he certainly did some things to redeem himself if, if he was guilty. Did that one or any others affect you um, emotionally in any way? Well, I think all of them did. You know, I, I knew who Robert Alton Harris was. He was the first one executed within modern era. And you know, I, it, it wasn't so much that he was involved because in my opinion, as you know this, you know, he killed children. He killed um, two innocent kids. And um, I had a problem with that. But the fact that he was taken into that room and basically executed in front of a, a macabre theater because everybody's watching him and Googling, uh, it was like a damn uh, a movie theater. There's 50-some people watching there and there's some were really uh, high about getting it done. Other ones didn't want it to. So that affected me in a way that was very emotional. I, I mean, I've, I've been one of those guys that something strikes me as an emotional tra uh, trauma, I change, and I changed artistically at that time. Um, so a lot of things like that really bothered me. Not that I, it, it mattered that I knew him or not. It was just the fact that I was on that list, and when he was executed, I was that much closer. So those are the type of things that gripped me that night, and I was afraid. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it scared me as more of them went ha happened, and I actually got an execution date in 1994. Um, I believe it was 93 94. It was for December 16th, um, uh, 1993 or 94. I got my first execution date. That was a, a very traumatic thing. I knew that I wasn't going to be executed because it was just state level. But it did affect me in a manner because I knew that the state was actively trying to murder me. That's a quite a um, that's quite an event in someone's life to know they're going to come murder you if they can. So when that happened, I thought of the death penalty was a bit different because I, I knew they were coming for me. That it never happened is a different deal. But I know that if I allowed them to they were going to kill me because death penalty was active at that time. So you're a pretty stoic guy to state the obvious, maybe to understate it. You know, you're a mentally tough guy, but when these guys were being executed, you know, on your same floor or whatever, in your same building, were there any of the other guys that started just freaking out ever? I'm sorry to hear you. Um, when the executions happened, did any of the other prisoners ever kind of like freak out or have meltdowns or anything? Oh yeah. Look, anybody that tells you when they're going to execute someone, they're not afraid. That's a complete lie. And, and I wrote about this in my book, Escape Artist, that 
you know, I know how to deal with a man coming at me with a knife. I know how to deal with a person trying to kill me physically, another opponent, a fighter, uh, a convict, a, a gang member. And yeah, I can be stoic. I can be of a, a firm heart and face that situation. It's a whole different ball game when you know it's a process that you have basically little to do with and you're being judged upon by justices or other people and when they come for you it's not going to be them just killing you it's a process of them um you know putting you in a room having all these people look at you like a circus act stick a needle in your arm or gas you and you're sitting there while air, that's a whole different ball game that becomes a theater and I had a big problem with that and so do other people so I understand fear and fear of both being attacked by an enemy and fear of the state of California attempting to kill me that's exactly what they were doing going to do and there were another guys that I saw here they became very depressed they became very angry some of them committed suicide because they didn't want the state to kill them yeah I'm it's been a while since we talked about it, but couldn't you see the gas chamber? Didn't you routinely walk by it or something? Oh, yeah. From the yard that I was on, I could look just a couple, uh, maybe 60 yards from there, and you could see the green stacks of back then was the gas chamber. And I could see the chamber. You, can, you know where it's at, and those big green stacks that are coming from it are exactly that, the stacks of the poisonous gas that come from the gas. I saw that every single day that I went outside. I saw that. Right. So I read that Governor Gavin Newsom of California has halted executions, and so there's there's not going to be a death row uh, now, right? But what if, like, a Republican gets in? Would they reinstitute death row? What's going on with that? Okay, so so that people understand, the audience understands what's really going on with this whole process. Okay, so there is, in, in, in mentally, or at least, the death penalty is still going to exist. Death row still exists. It's just not going to be called death row. You're not going to have a bunch of guys sitting on death row at San Quentin State Prison because the governor has come in. First and foremost, Governor Gavin Newsom put a moratorium on the death penalty, meaning that no one can be executed while he's governor. That being said, if somebody actually steps in office, the Republican or a Democrat that wants the death penalty, he can make it go forward immediately. He has a moratorium, that means nothing. It can be reversed immediately. Now, death row itself is being moved. The governor wants to use San Quentin well, San Quentin right now is a level two prison where for, there are rehabilitative programs like there are here. There are theater classes. This is for people that are going to get out. The only part of San Quentin that had an ambiance of death and destruction and despair and mayhem is death row. So he basically, well, he didn't. And this is where the people of California just listen to politicians too much. I'm going to tell you the skinny of what really happened and that Gavin Newsom didn't have anything to do with moving guys off of death row or anything else. That was the will of the people of California. And I'll explain to you how they did it next so the audience can understand what really happened. 
I'll be back. Okay. So the Democrats and people against the death penalty in, in a few years ago, they put in a proposition called Proposition 62. And it basically allowed the, the people of California to vote on whether they want a death penalty or not. It was like 46% for or 45% against it. Anyways, the bottom line is the death penalty was continued on in uh, California. There was two propositions, 62 and 66. 62 basically ended the death penalty. California voters did not elect to do that. What they did was they elected Proposition 66. And that was put in by DAs, by Republicans, and all these other guys. You know, you know, I'm a conservative, but I'm not a Republican. You know, that, uh, it's about, they're about party rather than country. And the majority of what the hell they're talking about. So all these politicians, these DAs, wrote this law, Proposition 66, that would make guys on death row pay restitution. And it was one of those things, the feel-good moment. They wanted the, the, the California voter to say, oh, my God, we're going to get these guys on death row to pay restitution. We're going to make them work like slaves, and they're going to get paid. And on top of that, you know, they're going to be uh, – you know, the process of their court will be faster. They'll have to go to the Superior Court instead of the Supreme Court. And they sold this to the people so they would vote for that rather than Proposition 62 to end the death penalty. And it was a big old freaking lie. That's all it was. I knew what was going on because I read the law. So here's what it says. Most taxpayers don't read the laws. So they don't know what they're being fed by these politicians they trust. They were lied to. Here's the real skinny on Proposition 66. Yes, it did make people go to the Superior Court to seek habeas corpus relief rather than the Supreme Court of California. But all that did was delay the process. People were complaining it took 10, 15 years to get to the California Supreme Court, then the feds. All these Republicans did, not conservatives because they're Republicans first, was slow down the process. Now, instead of going to the California Supreme Court and jumping, going straight to the the man himself, they have to go to the Superior Court, and then to the Second Division, and then to another court, and then finally to the California Supreme Court. You're talking now, instead of 15 years, it's 30 years. And then they go into the feds. That's another 25 years. So in essence, the Republicans made the death penalty basically impossible for anybody to get it. Okay? And of course, the taxpayer, you, are paying for all these lawyers and these new courts and everything else. They also hid inside that bill that people on death row would then be moved to other prisons so they can work slave labor and pay the restitution. Ladies and gentlemen, you are duped. Number one, the Republicans now are, are blaming Gavin Newsom for, you know, moving guys off of death row. That wasn't Gavin Newsom. That was the Republicans in that Proposition 66, okay, number one. Number two, they voted on it, the people of California, to get these guys to work on death row and pay restitution. What the Republicans didn't tell you, and again, I'm a, I'm, I am a conservative, just not a freaking Republican or a Democrat for that matter. What they didn't tell you was is you can't make anybody work in the state of California no matter what, okay? So... They're not going to work. And if they do have restitution, it cannot be applied now. 
it's restitution you already had. So nobody that doesn't have is gonna pay. Did you see how that works? They duped the people of California. So now they're complaining, why is this happening? And all this stuff, well, you voted for it. You guys didn't research what you were doing. Had they listened to death row diaries prior to this, they would have been forewarned what this was really about. So that is the skinny on Proposition 66 opposed to Proposition 62. California voters voted for it, and now they're complaining it costs so much money. I've been talking about how much it costs to put a person through death row or put them on death row and how much the cost is annual as opposed to a person who's just sitting in prison like I am now. It's double, minimum. So there you got it. Yeah, so the Republican Party, as part of their base philosophy on conservatism, is um, they're pro-fiscal responsibility, they're anti-bureaucracy, that's pretty much their main point, and and they are um, anti-government um, involvement, and this seems to fly in the face of all of that, right? It's crap. Come on, man. Let's, let's be honest. It's crap. That's a bunch of bullshit. You and I both know it, but again, I am a conservative. It's just that conservatism has nothing to do with being Republican or Democrat or anything else. I am a, a conservative whose principles are based in progressive thinking as well as common sense. Those propositions have zero common sense. Sure, they immediately say, we're going to be hard on crime, all these criminals and murderers, we're going to kill them. And everybody gets in arms, they all march to the freaking barn to, to burn freaking Frankenstein. Uh, the whole time, they're duping you guys. So you said a few things there I want to follow up on. You said you can't make people work in California. I'm assuming that what you meant is there's a basic law against slavery. No. No? What I mean is when if I'm in, pri I'm in prison right now and they tell me, Mr. Nicker, are you going to work? I can say, screw you, I don't want to work. There's nothing they can do to make me work. There's zero they can do. So the only way people will pay restitution is if they decide to work. And then, of course, they take 55% of your earnings. And But again, you first have to have restitution. That means a, that the court that sentenced you to death must then have a hearing and tell you, Mr. Freaking, you know, Jumping Jack Flash, uh, because of the court costs, we're putting $10,000 restitution on you. We're putting another $5,000 restitution for the victim's family or victim's fund, et cetera, which I'm all for. But it has to be done by the trial court when he's sentencing you. Most people on death row don't have restitution. I didn't have it. You know, 80% of the guys I know didn't have it. So the law that we're going to move guys and make them rent was just one of those things, like people like to always jump up and down and say we're going to be hard on crime and all this other stuff. But they're not telling you is you're paying the bill. The taxpayer is paying the bill. Well, let's, okay? Let's, That's what it comes uh, down to. Yeah. Let's just drill down on this slightly on this restitution. So let's say you're in prison and you have you have restitution, uh, you know, court ordered. And let's say you're the hardest working guy in prison. You work sweeping the floors. You work in the kitchen. What kind of hours are you working and what are you earning? Uh, like, what's your take home going to be at the end of the? Uh, yeah, look, most guys in prison make 10 cents an hour, 20 cents an hour. 
the good the guys that get those rare jobs, you get a dollar an hour. Again, you're making about 180 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month. So, I mean, you give a victim's family 100 bucks every once in a while, it doesn't amount to hella beans because, of course, it doesn't go directly to the victim's family. There's this, there's this bu- bureaucracy going on. And you get, the, you know, these people get this money. These other people get a little bit more. So by the time it trickles down to a victim's right group, you got a penny out of a dollar. Come on. This, this, but this is what I keep talking about. Ignorance is bliss. People have to listen to the truth rather than what politicians are telling you. Politicians are thieves and weirdos. Most of them are taking your candy while they're smiling at you. I, look, that is the truth. There are some people that have some principles, and I'll say it. Gavin Newsom seems to be a guy who does stick to his guns, but he's not doing anything that they didn't make him do. The law about sending guys off a death row, that's not Gavin Newsom pushing for that. He's doing simply what the will of the people have told him to do. As the governor, he has to follow through. It's the law. Proposition 66, which is the will of the people of California, willed. They willed the governor to act. Period. Yeah, I mean, if I had a family member that was brutally murdered, you know, for no reason or whatever, and you're trying to send me a hundred bucks a month. I would look at that as a slap in the face. I wouldn't even want anything to do with that personally, if that were me. Well, it's not, it's not going to be a hundred bucks a month. Remember, it's not going to be a hundred bucks a month. How many thousands of people are killed every year and or murdered every year? This is a general fund that the money goes into, but most of the time, by the time it gets to this fund to help victims' families or victim groups or anything, people that need shelter, whatever it is, it has been picked at by politicians, by organizations that are there supposedly to look after your interests, but they're looking after their own interests. You know, isn't there a thing, I learned this when I was researching a case, and I'd never heard of it because I'm just not in this world, luckily, but if you have a family member that's murdered, regardless of if they know who it is or not, the I believe it's the county of LA or maybe it's the state they have like a program where they'll support you to a degree they'll pay for a funeral they'll give you some money while you're grieving and they will uh, um, pay for counseling and stuff I believe is that right yeah yeah those programs do exist you have to know how to look for them I don't know about any of them specifically because that really is in my area but I know they do exist and sure if you are the, the victim of a crime and one of your family members was was murdered, the state will step in. I think it's the entire state of California as a general fund that will help with costs of funeral costs. But that is, I mean, at that point, I mean, you're, you're grieving a loved one. It's very difficult to care about those little things. But I'm sure it does help some people. And I don't know where that general fund came from. I don't know if it's from restitution or not. I just know that, listen, Here's the bottom line, ladies and gentlemen. You send a person to prison, you're paying about $110,000 a year to keep that person healthy. He gets medical, he gets dental, he gets food, he gets packages, he has a nice cell, he has clothing, free of charge, okay? That a victim's rights gets a couple hundred bucks to make a funeral. If you didn't send people to prison for death row and stuff, you could easily fund that through just 
the general fund, which pays for criminal betting, crim- criminals going to child, criminals going to school, and all these other things. I'm not advocating against learning and rehabilitation. What I'm advocating against is these huge sentences. The guy steals a pizza. He does it three times in a row. He gets striked out. He gets life without possibly a parole. So you're paying one hundred and seven to one hundred twelve thousand dollars a year to house this guy in prison, pay his medical, pay his dental, pay his housing, pay his food, and everything else. And he stole a few pizzas worth eighty bucks. How does that work logically? It doesn't. Yeah, and it's an easy pivot. Just thinking about it right now. With the homeless crisis we have in California, which I don't even know, Billy, if you would believe it, if you saw it, it's just every underpass, every kind of northbound street, it's it's like just driving around town, and it's not just LA, but just most any city in California, it's just like depressing as hell. So if we're talking about housing, you know, it seems like take that money and just apply it to this other problem to me. Of course, we, we should definitely take care of the citizens of this country that, or this state to have not this great state to have not committed a crime. But yet we're spending hundreds of thousands per person. If the person's 60 years old or 40 or 50 has a heart condition, he's in prison. Hey, he can get a heart transplant immediately because he's in prison. Or a person on the street, it takes them years or they may never get it. Another thing we can talk about, and again, I don't want to pick on any particular group, but let's, let's look at the facts. A person's in prison. He identifies with another gender group. He can get the pills. He can get the operation and everything. It's a mental health issue here. And he, the state of California, the taxpayer, it isn't the state of California. It's you, ladies and gentlemen, are paying for this. And the person's in... The person's in prison for stealing three or four pizzas. Or he's there for burglary. It's just, it doesn't make fiscal sense what they're doing. Look, there are people much smarter than I am that can make these calls and find a way to, like they do in Norway. It's, it's, they have a different judicial system. It works differently. But to house people in prison for 20, 30, 40 years for nothing, and you're paying the bill makes no fiscal sense. Zero. And when you keep a person in prison 30, 40 years, you let them out? They have no life skills. I don't care. I don't care what they're. So, look, I'm the biggest advocate for people learning things, but you can't teach people in prison what they need to, how to network, how to do all these things. These are people skills. These are not. I learned it from a book. You have to know how to talk because if I'm a business owner, I'm not going to hire an ex-convict who spent 30, 40 years in prison as opposed to a guy who's 25 years old, has a resume as long as my left leg, and he has all this pe- the people skills and the job skills you can want. And number one, he's not an ex-convict. So you putting people in prison for all these years has no real sense to it. It looks good. Yeah, let's put people in, people in prison and throw the key away. That sounds good on paper. But when it actually happens, at the end of the day, you put a person for a few, for decades in prison, you're paying millions of dollars when you could have put that in kids' education or the homeless crisis that we have in California right now. Can you imagine giving a homeless person, instead of 107 to $114,000 a year, 
with is what it costs to keep an inmate in prison, okay? If you gave half that money to a homeless person in apartment vouchers or food vouchers, the person would live a very comfortable life and he wouldn't be on the streets. So how the politicians say, well, we don't know where we're going to get the money for this. How about the prison fund? How about the money you're putting into putting people in prison and keeping them in prison? Look, some people need to be in prison, no doubt. But it sounds great. What do you do with it, though? You just can't throw people in prison for 30, 40 years. People say, well, of course you can. Yes, but it has no fiscal common sense. <laughs> it's impossible to house a person and not take care of them in prison. And when you do so, you got to pay for uh, for counselors, you got to pay for guards, you got to pay for correctional officers, you got to pay for medical, dental, all these things that human rights will, will roast you about. So at some point, someone has to make a call that this isn't working. The judicial system in California or the United States as a whole is not working. And the death penalty is the cherry on top of it that doesn't work. Just curious, Bill, what was that guy yelling about a few minutes ago? Say it again, man. I'm just curious what that guy was screaming about a few minutes back. Oh, on the... Up here, you mean? Yeah. I don't know. These guys are always screaming about something. Hmm. Uh, yeah, no, none of it makes sense. I, I also I don't think the liberal... Uh, you know the the floofy liberal type people who who claim you know that they would hire these guys when it comes down to it when it's their business i don't think they actually would i think everyone's just kind of full of shit on the issue well some would some would but again it depends on the individual that's in front of you it really depends on the individual that's in front of you so some people would yeah the majority don't that's the problem and liberals, they want to kumbaya everything to death. Come on, it doesn't work that way. Look at the crisis at the border. We have... Look at the, the border. It's another huge mess. The Republicans, or you know, who they say are the Republicans, are all for shipping guys to different states and dropping them off. Biden wants to let everybody in. I, look, politicians don't know what the hell they're doing. We allow these people to run our lives. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Politicians are liars and thieves. That's what they do for a living. They'll tell you one thing, they'll flip to another side. On a death penalty, they've been doing it for decades. And California is the state where death row is costing not just millions, it's costing billions to the taxpayer of California. It's time that a politician steps up and actually makes people aware of what's really going on. Well, maybe I'll throw my hat in the ring. We'll have to see. Uh, it's been interesting, Bill. We're going to uh, continue our discussion on Patreon for part two. And so you're welcome to join us there. Until next time, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. As a final thought, I want to always think of mental health as well as suicide prevention. If you are suffering from medical issues related to mental illness and you feel that you may want to take your life or you're thinking about it, there are people that will listen to you. Ask. Call. There are people out there.
out there will talk to you. If this is something that you're going through, I'll even talk to you. A life lost is permanent. It's not for temporary things for a week or two. It's permanent. I'm William Nogueira. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it.